Palestine. And of course, we also want to be hearing from you. So uh, as we as we get along this evening with our two special guests, do get your questions in. Do let us know where you're from, where you're where you're where you're situated. It's always good to know we've got a global uh, viewership, a global following in Palestine deep dive, and we want to hear from you. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Ahram Sahab. Uh, he's a British Palestinians organizer and a migrant justice campaigner, and Rivka. Barnard, who's head of civic space at War on Want. I should say that Akram is in Jerusalem in Palestine and Rivka uh, is in London in the UK. I'm Mark Seddon. Uh, I used to be a diplomatic UN correspondent for Al Jazeera uh, television. And I used to work for the United Nations for the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and more recently for President of the UN General Assembly, Maria Fernanda Espinosa. So look, thank you very, very much indeed for joining us tonight, both of you. Um, welcome. It's, we're delighted to have you. Um, we're going to be talking very much today about renewing Palestinian solidarity, solidarity with Palestine. And I think what we're really keen to hear from, uh, from you as, as you send in your questions and points and from our guests is kind of really the practical uh, means of this solidarity. What do we mean by solidarity? What can be practically done when actually uh, right across the world there's a, there's, a, there's a degree of defensiveness, a degree of withdrawal, a degree of a, a lack of confidence, and yet at the same time a huge amount of awareness and a lot of uh, involvement by uh, youth around the world in the Palestinian cause. So we really want to hear from our guests and from all of you out there um, and we've just been joined by uh, Janice Gintzler from Illinois. Uh, welcome, Janice. Um, we hope to hear from you later on. But I really want to just begin um, because we've got uh, our two guests with us. And I, I'd like them to tell us something about themselves. And I, I want to start with you, if I may, Rivka. Uh, you know, tell us something about your journey. Uh, tell us something about War on Want. I mean, people uh, in different parts of the world may not be familiar with what War on Want is. Uh, tell us what you mean by civic space. That's your 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 title. Um, but I'm, I think we're really interested to know how it is that you've come to be particularly associated with the with the Palestinian issue. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that question, and thank you so much, uh, Mark, uh, for having me on this show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah. I mean, to start by saying something about myself and, and my journey. Um, I started getting involved in, um, in solidarity work uh, with the Palestinian struggle when I was in university in the US. Um, and that coincided with the second intifada, the beginning of the second intifada in the, in the early 2000s. So this says something about um, how old I am also. Um, I was already involved in social justice issues and actually I was particularly uh, politicized by incidents, by events in the city where I grew up in um, around police brutality. So there's an echo, of course, in, in terms of what's happening um, still, uh, both in the US and, and in the UK and in, in other parts of the world more broadly. So um, I was a part of, I was, I was supporting some community led mobilizations in the city where I grew up in um, against police brutality, which was a major issue. Um, and uh, the, the protesters against police brutality faced um, extreme violence and repression by the police. Um, and that was a real wake up call for me. And it started to um, push me to ask questions about uh, systemic racism, about, um, about the, the history of, of um, police relations with the population, um, about issues around poverty. And at the same time, you know, around the same time, the second intifada was kicking off. And some of the things that I um, had heard that, that pushed me to ask questions around police brutality, things like um, depicting protesters against police brutality as disorderly or as violent when it was clear that the, the, the police were uh, sort of attacking protesters. Um, some of the same narratives and seeing how the narrative was spun um, echoed with what I was seeing coming from Palestine around the second intifada. So um, that was a part of sort of how I, how I came to the issue. And I think um, that's a story that's common, uh, common to people. And I think it's repeated over and over again and, and very much about how um, 
especially in places outside of Palestine, how some people are, are um, in, in really useful ways asking new questions about what's the history behind, um, you know, something that seems like a, a, a spark of an incident. What's the history behind it? What's the power imbalance? What, what's, the, um, what's the history in the, in the country? So that was really um, where things started for me. And I got involved in university groups um, in solidarity with, with Palestinians. I was a part of some of the early um, campus divestment uh, um, programs in the U.S. looking at the university's investments in, in companies that were complicit in um, in the oppression of Palestinians. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I came to the work. And then um, you know I was involved in in some of the popular mobilizations against the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Also, so so that trajectory followed um, in that way. And then some, you know, 15 years later, I found myself living in London um, and had the opportunity to get involved in in War on One, which is the organization that I that I work with now. Um, so to say something about War on One, War on One's an anti-poverty charity and our slogan uh, is poverty is political. So that means that uh, when we're doing anti-poverty work, we're talking about getting at the root causes of poverty. Um, and that includes um, colonialism and occupation. So, um, so we can't think of poverty, especially you know, poverty in the global South as, as disconnected from histories and current realities of colonialism and occupation. And War on Want, the organization I work for, has long played a role in, in supporting liberation uh, movements and anti-colonial struggles. So that um, includes the anti-apartheid movement, the historic anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, um, the current uh, um, Sahrawi movement for self-determination of the people of Western Sahara, um, and also includes the, the Palestinian struggle and, and the work uh, of War on Want um, in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle really goes back over some three decades. Um, and we've long made the argument that, um, that charities um, you know, shouldn't be uh, sort of confined to the space of, of philanthropy or looking at Band-Aid solutions, but should really be um, working to address the root causes of, of poverty and inequality and should be guided by the people who are leading their own struggles. So in this case, the Palestinian people. Um, and that's really guided the work that, that War on Want has done in solidarity with Palestinians, which we, you know, we can talk about uh, in, in greater detail more um, throughout this show. <laughs> And Rivka, what do you mean by civic space? Mm -hmm. Is, yeah. What do you mean by that in the Palestinian so, context? Yes, I mean, uh, so more broadly, you know, it's it's about the um, the sort of movements in, in society that we think of as sort of non-governmental. Um, and that can include universities, it can include um, uh, charities, organizations, campaigning groups, grassroots movements. Um, in the context of, of Palestine, um, so in occupied Palestine, um, civic space would be the, the area for civil society organizations um, to, uh, to operate. So that includes NGOs, human rights NGOs, of which there are many um, in Palestine, um, but also things like trade unions, uh, women's associations, um, artistic organizations, uh, youth movements. Um, so there's, I mean, it's one of the things that's really amazing and wonderful about Palestine is there's a very, very lively civil society, despite the intense repression that uh, the Palestinian civil society is, is facing currently and has been historically too. And then in the UK, I mean, we're, we're lucky again to have a very lively um, civil society movement, let's say, in support of, of Palestinian rights, that, which is a, a part of the broader sort of human rights movement, but also the anti-racism groups and, and uh, movements in this country. So when we talk about civic space, we're talking about the space that we have to do that um, campaigning work, the organizing work that we've now come to um, to associate with solidarity work, um, and that's an it's a very important part of of any democratic society. Um, and so the work that we're doing to try to look at civic space is to make sure that it's sort of widened um, continually instead of contracted, which is unfortunately what we're seeing a lot of right now. Mm, thank you, thank you very much, Rivka. Uh, coming to you, Akram, in um, Jerusalem, you, you, the, you're, uh, you, you're surrounded by the darkness. The darkness has already come in. Nighttime is upon, upon you. Um, we're still in the half-light here over in Britain, but uh, welcome. I, I, 
I mean, part of your work is obviously um, with British Palestinians. So um, I'll be interested to hear about uh, the British Palestinian community in Britain. Perhaps you could tell us something about uh, how active in terms of numbers, what British Palestinians uh, uh, hope when they come together to campaign on issues, what they what they look forward to, to getting progress on. But also I'm interested in knowing something about um, your, your own path. Uh, you know, you're a British Palestinian, very active on the migrants uh, issue. Um, you know, what, what's been what's been your journey and what do you spend much of your time uh, doing right now? What, what are the big issues on your plate? Yeah, thanks, Mark. And thanks for um, for having this show. It's uh, I think the topic um, around how we extend solidarity with Palestine is really um, urgent at the moment. And I think you had it right at the start when you were introducing um, the show to say that we have this kind of contradictory situation in which we have more solidarity, more understanding and awareness about Palestine than perhaps ever before, but at the same time, greater restrictions and pressure on um, how people can organize and express and show solidarity with Palestine. And so those those two current, those kind of um, uh, juxtaposing cu currents of what we're trying to kind of discuss and get to the bottom of, I guess, today, um, and for myself, I'm uh, Scouse Palestinian, British Palestinian, um, and uh, you know I grew up between Palestine and Britain. And obviously, growing up here, it's inevitable that you see around you through your family and your friends. Um, and what was happening when I was here during the Second Intifada, which was quite a severe um, escalation by the Israelis of um, the repressive means, the construction of the wall. And all the um, uh, yeah the greater escalation of attacks against uh, Palestinians living here in Palestine, um, and so well, when I, when I moved to the UK, I obviously was quite a young person for a while, and until um, I graduated from college and I went to university. And when I arrived at university, I was quite struck by the fact that many of the progressive campaigns on campus centered around Palestine. So many of the um, leftist groups, the environmental groups, the Muslim uh, organizations, and many, many others all work together um, around this, around the question of Palestine. And I found that Palestine meant so much to lots of different people. Um, and it wasn't just, I guess, and this was somewhat surprising to me, obviously coming from a country where we know the role of the British state um, in, term, in creating the, uh, the, the disaster of 1948, um, and in uh, the occupation of our country for, for decades. And to, to arrive in Britain and find that actually on campus, at least, there was a great a significant awareness around Palestine. It meant a lot to people. People felt that the cause of Palestinian liberation was very much connected to their own. And to find that people were willing and wanting to do something around that, which was very serious. And you'll, you may remember around the, um, one of the formative moments for me politically was around the, occupation of more than 30 lecture halls um, across British campuses in 2008-2009 during uh, the Israeli attack and massacre um, called Castled, which took place over that period. And to see that Palestine was situated in this way in Britain, I, find, I found uh, really incredible, but also I, I came to understand what Palestine meant for so many people struggling for justice and struggling for liberation. Um, and in that sense, what's happening around Palestine, what we're discussing around Palestine, is it parallels with many of the other changes that we're seeing in our society in the lurch to the right, in the greater pressure um, on racial justice campaigners, on, um, on many other people who are, who are struggling for those principles in our society. So, um, with, so more recently, I guess, to kind of be, to come up to date in terms of what's happening now, um, one of the things that came happened when Trump was elected was there was an escalation in the attacks against Palestinians. Trump began to speak about a deal of the century, which had lots of different components. And associated with that, we began to see pressure on civil society in Britain and what people could and couldn't organize on around Palestine. And to see that uh, formative plan to, beginning to be constructed on the ground in, in Palestine in terms of moving the embassy to Jerusalem, cuts of funds to UNRWA and so forth. And then it's um, attendant plan, uh, attendant associated uh, me measures of pressure that were coming on activists here really led me to spend quite a lot of my time beginning to look into 
documenting and recording how people were being affected by this in Britain. And so you talk about the Palestinian community here. Well, actually, we've got quite a small Palestinian community. People estimated to be around 40,000 Palestinians. Some families came quite early on because the, um, the companies they might have worked for in Palestine after they were forcibly expelled in 1948, the companies they worked for may have um, had branches in, in London, so they came back here. But many people have come in very small numbers over the years. Students who stayed, obviously we're a very large refugee community, so many people have come as refugees and stayed here. And uh, I work obviously in migrant justice today, and we see many young Palestinians from all over the world, from Lebanon, from Syria, and from elsewhere, arriving as part of waves of refugees that happen and that come here from the conflicts that um, have, have taken place uh, in the Middle East. So really our story is very much tied into the broader story of what's happening in the Middle East. And as refugees, we always live in this precarious state. In the UK, we're quite a small community, but obviously we fall into a larger Arab Muslim community of which we're um, sometime, you know, in which, of which we're part and sometimes very much embedded. Um, but really, uh, the community here is relatively small. And what gives, uh, what has really kind of created Palestine as a, as a cause in this country is the work that was done in previous generations. So when Palestinians came as students and as organizers, obviously there was a Palestine Liberation Organization that was active then. And they set about making it possible for people to hear about Palestine, to speak about Palestine, setting up groups in universities. The General Union of Palestinian Students was very active at some point. Before the PLO embassy existed, it was a, um, uh, a delegation, uh, general delegation, I think as it still is today. Um, so we have this long history of uh, the Palestinian community in, in the small numbers that they have been, but working on quite a concerted and focused strategy to make it possible mm -hmm. to open up space around Palestine. Um, and really the story of Palestine now and its relationship with Britain can't be told without the story of the solidarity movement and all the trade unionists, the civil rights activists, the um, ju racial justice campaigners and the very broad swathe of British society that now feel they have an interest um, in, in Palestine and in standing with solidarity with us. Akram, I'm, in, I'm interested because you're talking about this historical solidarity, the fact that when you were uh, active over here in the universities, you could see there were lots of uh, 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 activist groups in universities, across the churches, across the unions, across the Muslim community. Um, and I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Dundee uh, was twinned, I think it was with Ramallah. Uh, you know, so there's been this historical solidarity movement in Britain, quite a strong one. Um, but as a as an advocate, you know, moving beyond the the traditional support base, if you like, in a country like Britain or indeed in a country like the United States, talking about two English speaking countries. Um, how uh, do you, have you had a, any sort of success in reaching out to people who are either disinterested or they, they, they don't know them very much? They're not interested or indeed they're hostile. I mean, it's reaching out to, to explain and to introduce uh, people who might otherwise be walking on the other side of the road. Uh, that's the real challenge, isn't it? So do, do you find yourself going out into hostile territory, if you like, trying to, trying to take the word out there? And one of the things we used to do as students, um, and which we, was very effective in terms of explaining to people what was happening in Palestine was bringing delegations of people. And I think anyone who's been around the solidarity scene for long enough will have heard of people really hearing, visiting Palestine and seeing things on the ground and being quite shocked that even though they'd heard things about it, when they witness it firsthand, the reality is much worse than they could ever expect it. And I think that's a real moment for a lot of people where they really understand what's taking place with us um, and are moved to act and move to um, join solidarity activities when they get back here. And I think that really tells the story of, um, you know, all there's this discussion, for instance, about how and whether we call Israel apartheid and, and, and uh, what that means exactly and where apartheid applies and whether it's just the West Bank or all of... I mean, anyone who's been there, anyone who's been to Palestine for five minutes can tell you it's very clearly taking place. It's not a controversial or a debatable or something which you really need to nitpick legally to determine. It's extremely obvious on the ground in terms of what's happening. And so unfortunately, because of the distance from Palestine to the UK, 
and all of the geographic distance and the ideological frameworks that really exist, which help and uh, kind of misrepresent what's taking place towards the Palestinians, you obviously have some people who, um, you know, either don't know or don't want to know or kind of know um, about Palestine only in terms of this war on terror framework mm-hmm. and, and the clash of civilization sort of thesis, which does determine some of these, um, which does determine some of the way people receive this information. But really, I think the, the facts on, on the ground in Palestine are very simple. The reality is very straightforward. People who visit know that reality. And what's important for us to recognize as people who are solidarity activists is that this is really about us thinking, how can we reach these different audiences? And how can we, you know, as you were saying, you know, many church delegations are engaged in work on Palestine. Well, because to them, this is a holy place. And what happens here matters perhaps more than somewhere else. But there's framings and there's language in which we can, whatever sector or group of society we're talking about, we can manage to embed these same principles of liberation and freedom um, that we kind of work and campaign on. Well, Akram, I'm going to come in there because um, I've been corrected by Kate Scott. She says, Dundee twinned with Nablus. Uh, Sorry about that, Kate. Um, Naim Malik says, uh, activists in Birmingham have been trying to twin with Ramallah, but the council has resisted to the extent that we've given up. Well, don't give up, Naim. Uh, keep on pushing. Oxford Council has recognised twinning with Ramallah in Britain. So much depends on what the political makeup of the local council, says Kate. Um, look, we have a question, and we were going to get on to this a little bit later, but since it's come in. In Britain, we hear a great deal. This is Naim Malik. In Britain, we hear a great deal in the main media about Israel and from the Israelis. We hear very little, if anything, of the Palestinians or from the Palestinians. Um, how can we solidarity activists uh, try and redress this? And actually, I was going to ask you about that because, um, you know, the, we, the Palestine solidarity campaign, people are very familiar with it, lots of other Palestinian, but is there a kind of a voice for Palestinians, for the Palestinian diaspora in the UK? And what if, if not, why not? And how can it come about? And I shall I'll ask, ask you first, Ahram, and then I'll ask you, Rivka. Yeah, well, I would say that, um, you know, our community at the moment is uh, suffering from a number of internal divisions, um, as, you know, uh, many communities in Britain are. Uh, when they arrive, it's diversity of opinion. It's more, it's obviously uh, difficult to create single organisation to represent the general, um, you know, the, the represent entirely the community in all its diversity, but really... Um, the Palestinian people have expressed many times what their opinions are, the basic rights they um, hold under international law, the right to self-determination, the right to, and the right to return, and these inalienable rights in international law. And these are really the consensus amongst all Palestinians about what they want. Now, how to coordinate that in each country in the diaspora? There used to be the, a Palestine Liberation Organization which functioned quite differently, which was more able to unify the different Palestinian factions. So at the moment you have many active and really brilliant work being done by Palestinian organizers and Palestinian community groups to mobilize a community and to support solidarity groups in the work that they do. But there's not a, a currently a singular voice that speaks for, or that could claim to speak for mm-hmm. Palestinians. Rivka, can I come to you on that? Sure, yeah. And this is, I mean, uh, speaking from the, the position of, of a solidarity organization, this is one of the key um, pillars of our solidarity work is how do we make sure that um, that as a solidarity organization we're not imposing any kind of, of um, perspective on um, on Palestinians or any other community that we're that we're um, working with, and I think as as Akram said, I mean the the thing that's um, uh, really a gift to solidarity movements is that decades and decades of work from Palestinian activists and organizers has made a lot of clarity around what um, what Palestinians are um, are demanding, um, which is that their right to self-determination be respected. Um, now there's a lot of you know small um, questions within that, but I think um, it's a very um, a simple role in some ways as a solidarity organization to elevate that set of demand. And and we have, of course, there's so many Palestinian organizations, both in historic Palestine and outside of 
of historic Palestine um, who uh, are very well established and we work with very closely to understand and, and guide our work. Um, and I think, you know, we don't have to overcomplicate it in some ways as, as a solidarity movement. There's a pretty clear um, set of asks and that's what we should be focusing on. And, and for War on Want being a British organization, one of the key um, inputs that we make and the key perspectives is um, we look at British complicity. Um, so being a British organization and having um, the access in some ways that we have, um, uh, the understanding of the British uh, political system and um, the sort of access to, um, to um, the sort of hallways of power, um, we take it very seriously to, pu to push the British uh, government and British institutions to live up to their obligations to, um, to support the Palestinian call for self-determination. Um, Alex Bastos, uh, he asked a question that I was going to ask, but uh, Alex puts it much better than me. Um, and I'll come to you first, Rivka, as, uh, as, stay with you if I will. Um, he says, hi, Akram and Rivka, great to hear from both of you tonight. Can you speak about the attacks against the Palestine Solidarity Movement by pro-Israel groups? And what effect this has had on organizing and advocacy for Palestine? Rivka. Yeah, it's a really important question. And I think it's it's um, certainly on many people's minds. Anyone who's involved or even watching, I think, from, from afar um, knows that um, there's been a concerted effort uh, to smear and defame um, first of all, Palestinian, uh, Palestinians and, and sort of secondarily solidarity organizations and, and, um, and activists. Um, I think one thing that's important, first of all, is to understand, um, first of all, to understand the different layers of, of those kinds of attacks. Um, and that's a part of how we confront them, right? We need to know sort of what we're facing. Um, one of the things that we've been looking at is um, the, first of all, the things that are coming from the Israeli government. So um, it's, it's sort of um, clear and, and well-documented. Um, and the Israeli government itself boasts about um, its Ministry of Strategic Affairs, um, which has a department within it that's um, set up specifically to take aim, first of all, at Palestinian uh, organizations, Palestinian NGOs. Um, and has been releasing reports and, and really specific disinformation campaigns to discredit Palestinian NGOs that are, that are monitoring Israel's abuse of Palestinian rights. Um, and the, the targeting um, is especially focused on Palestinian organizations that are involved in international advocacy or have contact with groups in, in Europe or the UK or the US to a lesser extent. Um, and in particular, groups that have been submitting evidence to the International Criminal Court. So this is a pattern that we've um, seen very clearly and it shows something about what the intention of those attacks is, which is to, to, um, to to cut off Palestinian access to, to justice. Um, so the mechanisms of accountability, however weak they are in the international realm, the International Criminal Court or the United Nations, is heard. And again, I think we should, um, we should always uh, remember the work that's been put into um, organizing and, and effectively um, finding a, a, a way to, to have access to those spaces and to speak about the Palestinian cause. Um, and those are the places where, where the Israeli government and some of its sort of politically motivated allied organizations, some of them in Israel, some of them outside of Israel, um, want to, um, to cut Palestinians off from. So I think the objective is really, first of all, to isolate Palestinians. Um, and the attacks on mm. solidarity groups uh, outside of Palestine are really kind of in service of that uh, objective, I would say, to isolate Palestinians well, Rivka, um, I wanted to, to, come to, to target on. that thing that... Yeah. Yeah. I, sure. I wanted to come to Akram on this, actually, because to, to look at the, the, to these attacks in, a, in the context of, uh, of Britain um, and what you have seen, uh, and in particular, I mean, would you... Uh, looking at the domestic Br British political situation and the crisis that enveloped the uh, Labour Party under uh, Jeremy uh, Corbyn, 
I mean, do do you, Akram, feel that uh, uh, there's been a sort of wider pol political uh, a, a, a campaign that actually was aimed at uh, forcing or encouraging the British Labour Party to take a, a, a less less of an interest in Palestine? Let's use the diplomatic language. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think um, I guess I I guess I really just would first start by reiterating kind of the framing of what Rivka is saying, because I think um, because um, from the perspective of Britain and from the perspective of people living and being active in Britain on Palestine, it can come across or we can get the sense that there's a generalized attempt um, at silencing. And I think what's important to emphasize is precisely the point that Rivka was starting with. And then maybe I'll get straight to your question, which is that uh, there, there was a concerted focus plan by Trump under deal of the century to, to end the Palestinian cause as we know it, to make incredibly um, uh, controversial, even within the very limited international law uh, or lack of absence of international law framework and the support of this two-state solution and the positions of uh, Western governments or you know international public opinion or whatever it's known as these days, um, which even within that limited context, which didn't protect Palestinian rights, the, the moves that Trump was making were accelerated moves about moving the embassy, about ending f uh, funds to UNRWA, and about this plan to turn Palestinians into a labor force who could be exploited even more brutally than they are by Israel. So uh, the, the context of attacks on solidarity is an attempt to um, silence any mass resistance and mass response to that those heinous policies which Trump was trying to force through in full coordination with the, um, the Netanyahu government. And so I think what, what has happened around that is that when we see um, oppression of solidarity organizations, groups, organizers, um, and obviously in the Labour Party being one example of that, that's an attempt to uh, prevent people from speaking out against something which is about to get worse in order to cut off support from Palestinians on the ground. And so really that with that framing it really means that we can remember what our responsibility is as activists so i think part of what happened in the labor party is that um it, you know there, there were many things that were trying to happen at the same time one was a party being elected into government but one was also a group of people who felt very strongly about justice both in this country and abroad and it was definitely the sense not just on palestine but on many other questions that we have to relinquish our international solidarity um, in order that we can hope to get into government and be elected in government here. And, you know, there's been lots of discussions around precisely the, the strengths and weaknesses of the various positions that were taken around that. But that was a generalised push against the Labour Party. And Palestine, again, was at the heart of, heart of that struggle. Well, um, following from that, Akram, do you, do you think that's actually had a permanent effect on uh, the Labour Party? Because uh, if, if you look at the situation right now, you have... Um, a conservative government that has not moved the uh, British embassy to Jerusalem, still talks about the occupied territories, may not be doing a huge amount. But we've had in recent weeks, recent months, a very, very little pushback from the official opposition on issues such as vaccine rollout, which it hasn't happened, as we know, in the occupied territories and should have done under international law. Do you think it's had a permanent effect and and that and not just on the on the on the Labour Party, but on the on the wider uh, pro-Palestinian um, activist community of people feeling browbeaten. Yeah, I think the the Labour Party preceding the election of Jeremy Corbyn was hardly a hub of pro-Palestine sentiment or activity. There have always been within the Labour Party a small number of MPs who have taken the cause of Palestine to their hearts. And have campaigned on it for many years, um, but they, and they've, they've always been, I guess, in the minority. I think what has um, what's careful to to explain is that the discussion has uh, or the work that's happened over the past few years in in silencing uh, um, Palestinians and supporters of Palestine is not to say you can't talk about Palestine at all, but to really delimit and reduce the kind of things you can say about Palestine. And there's various reports done by Reut Institute and others, which says we need to distinguish between um, soft critics and hard critics. And the idea is that they want to make it possible to say the only way of criticizing and speaking about um, 
what's happening in Palestine and Israeli policies is to say, I'm a critical friend of Israel. And everyone who said that actually the rights of Palestinians under international law, we might want to explore something other than a two-state solution, which is clearly um, completely um, uh, untenable, or any other solution that challenges the, the core structure of Israeli policy and history for the past uh, 60, 70, 100 years, that that's impermissible, but we can make small criticisms here and there. So it's really, it's really attempt to reshape the, bound, the ex- bounds of acceptable speech around Palestine and around Israeli activity. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a case before Jeremy was elected, but now it's much more kind of understood by the core, um, um, by the, a core of MPs in the Labour Party that we generally, it's generally not in our interest to speak about Palestine. And if we do, we can only do it within very narrow parameters. Well, I note today in some of the uh, British newspapers, there are reports that, uh, uh, or claims that people who, um, who speak out against apartheid-style policies in Israel uh, could be construed as being anti-Israel. So that 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 kind of carries your point forward, and it actually takes us on to a couple of questions coming in. Um, uh, Chet Johnston uh, he he asks, how much is polis- how much is the Palestine Solidarity Campaign a collective voice for Palestinians? It's going back actually to a previous question. Um, it's led by Palestinians in Benjamal and Kamal. Surely the message of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign is central to being a Palestinian in Britain or elsewhere. Do you want to, would you, do you want to respond to that one, Rivka? Sure. I mean, I don't think the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, which I think is a very uh, important organization, and it's an organization that War on Want works with um, very often, I don't think it claims or attempts to be um, a collective voice for Palestinians. It's, I mean, it's a solidarity campaign, so it's useful and important that, um, of course, there there are uh, Palestinians in the organization, and um, it certainly is led by um, uh, the same principles that I spoke about before of of um, sort of uplifting the the sort of consensus of Palestinian demands. But I don't think it um, it has an interest or, or has attempted to try to be anything more or some sort of a um, Palestinian representative uh, body. Well, I think um, if we might, if we might, we could, we could, we could turn to another issue because it will lead us on to the, um, the, the key issue of solidarity and the practical measures that some of our viewers are asking about. But um, I wanted to go to this issue around the rise of far-right populism or nationalism. I'm I'm often confused by the conflation of right-wing with populism, but anyway, that's a commentariat kind of use of language. But but the rise of kind of the far-right, the rise of nationalism, the rise of political leaders that we can identify such as Bolsonaro or uh, Trump or uh, Putin, or uh, indeed Benjamin Netanyahu. And the interesting thing, and I wondered if you've got any thoughts on this one, Rivka, is that um, with these populist right-wing movements, uh, which were very, very well known for harboring sort of vicious racists and anti-Semites and huge numbers, they have actually reached some kind of accommodation, it would appear, with right-wing forces in Israeli politics and as represented by Likud and other parties even further to the right. What do you make of this very, very strange meeting, uh, a meeting of, of minds? Well, I don't think it's um, it's surprising or strange at all, and, and I don't think it's particularly new also. I mean, I think the, the um, state of Israel and, and the regime's the successive regimes in the state of Israel have always aligned themselves with right-wing leaders around the world. Um, and, you know, we're aligned with the apartheid regime in South Africa, um, with, with right-wing forces in, in Latin America and played a very um, destructive role in, um, in arming uh, some of the anti- anti-left horrible violence that was seen there. Um, and I think that's an important thing to understand about the um, the state of Israel and the role that it's played in um, the, the sort of global history. And I think when we understand it that way, it helps us sort of 
unpack a little bit and understand that this is a, I mean, that's what colonial regimes do, right? I mean, if you understand Israel as a, t a type of and a t typical colonial regime, it makes sense that it, it um, allies itself with different repressive regimes around the world and, and continues to do so. And I think the, um, the sort of more recent um, alliances with, um, with the United Arab Emirates and, and some of the other regimes. Again, I mean, I don't think it came as a massive surprise, especially to Palestinians who have seen um, that this is a very consistent um, type of alliance um, with, with what, what has uh, come before it. And I think, um, you know, in, in all of those places, there's something, there's definitely something to be said about the um, the power of the new sort of right-wing alliances. And I would throw in also Modi in, in India, mm -hmm. um, which is a, an incredibly um, strong uh, partner for Israel. Um, and that these regimes are learning and, and trading with each other, both materially in terms of, of weaponry and, and surveillance technology, but also in terms of, of strategies and, and techniques and tactics. Um, and it's on us then as the sort of progressive forces, grassroots movements um, to learn from each other. And I think there's really amazing productive work that's been done um, between um, the Palestinian movement with progressive groups in Brazil, in India, in, in so many different places around the world um, who have um, experience facing uh, repressive forces. And I think that's where the power of grassroots movements can, can come from. And there's, as much as there's a long legacy of right-wing forces um, aligning with themselves, the Palestinian movement has always been an, uh, an, an incredibly internationalist and learned from uh, and, and um, taught other movements, especially anti-colonial movements throughout history and around the world. Thank you, Rivka. Um, Chet Johnston just has a comment here, um, and this is going back to a previous uh, discussion we were having. Giving up on international justice and an attempt by the Labour Party to be popular was a signal that there was nothing Labour would not retreat from. Uh, Keir Starmer, who is the leader of the British Labour Party, had no right to do this, says Chet. Um, looking uh, at both in the United States and Europe and elsewhere, uh, Akram, at the movement of, in public opinion, uh, the power of social media, the immediacy which um, news reaches people and imagery meets people, uh, reaches people. Um, it does appear that public opinion shifts um, much more quickly, can shift much more quickly. And that has particularly uh, been happening in the United States. Um, very interestingly, it's much more public opinion is much more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause now than it used to be. Much more critical of uh, Israel, Israeli policies towards the Palestinians. Do you think, Akram, that essentially a lot of this pushback that we've seen um, is, because, is because of this, actually, that, um, you know, this, this attempt to sort of come down on activists, to sort of stop the debate, if you like, to stop criticism, to conflate criticism with anti-Semitism, for instance. Is this what it's all about, really? Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, as I said, I think the, the, the primary purpose of this is kind of directed elsewhere and directed to what's happening in Palestine. But I think, obviously, the nature of the Israeli state is that it was established by imperial powers and it continues to um, uh, practice its policies against the Palestinians in the way it does because it has considerable material and financial support um, uh, and preferential trade agreements, military aid, um, which enable it to do so. So, you know, in, in Britain for this, you know, despite obviously the, the crimes of slavery and colonialism and all the, um, the, the shocking uh, imperial history that we have here, there, there was a campaign waged by people against slavery and the abolitionist movement in British history was one that despite all the odds, despite um, pushback from the powers that be, despite great profits that were derived from the trade, there, it, it was possible to campaign and demand justice and fight for that and make that a mass popular campaign. And so I think what we can really do is, you know, we can see that any time in history, people try and stand up for a just cause, they're gonna face pressure and they're gonna face pushback. Mm -hmm. We're at a particular juncture in this country, 
America is a slightly different juncture. America used to be very difficult to work or speak out or do anything on Palestine. But actually where they've got to today is the slog and the effort and the work and the sweat of activists there to link Palestine to all these struggles in which they're engaged. So they lies right at the heart of those um, struggles. And in, in the UK, there is enormous support for Palestine, whether you see the number of people who turned out on the streets in 2008, 2009, if you see the number of, pe number of people who signed petitions, who joined causes, who by any opinion poll, people understand in broad terms that Israel is, um, is behaving in an atrocious way in breach of international law and that the Palestinians are struggling for their rights. And so it's really on us to think, what can we do to enable that opinion to be manifest in policy and concrete measures that can pressure Israel in order to restrict the, what it's able to do against Palestinians? And so well, Akram, you've, you've taken the words out of my mouth because that really was the, was the next question. And I'm going to come to you afterwards, Rivka. But starting with you, Akram, in terms of practical solidarity, um, people are looking to do, a lot of people are out there looking to do things. Um, and they're motivated to do things and to encourage other people to do things. What, what, what would you advise people to do? I guess I would, I would start with two kind of main things. First, I think it's important for people to recall and remember what Palestine and the cause of Palestine is about, what the inalienable rights of the Palestinians are in the international law. Um, this isn't just about the one human right or the right to love or other individual rights that people might be discussing or raising or equality or freedom or dignity in very general terms. Actually, there's a very clear articulation of the demands um, the Palestinians have put forward and they're enshrined in international law. Um, so, sometimes we've, some, we've been distracted by just talking about Palestinian statehood, although that's the, as though that's a totality of Palestinian demands, when that's one very small subsection um, of the Palestinian people and not, not considered a key demand amongst Palestinians internationally. So I think, first of all, recalling that Palestine is an anti-colonial struggle and the rights of the Palestinians are shined in international law and that we're struggling for the realization of those rights. Um, and that actually determines how we think about activism, what we demand. Like the, we've seen things where people demand changes from an individual Israeli policies under the military occupation. Like how do we shape our campaigns so that they're contributing to a broader anti-colonial framing rather than um, you know, just, just talking about a, fragment, a fragmentary vision or a fragmentary understanding of some of these rights. And I think crucially, um, we also, uh, uh, you know, we need to, in the current environment, I think, come back to basics. So what I mean by that is our mission is really to make sure that Palestine isn't not, is not, as it's been attempted to be made, a niche, marginal issue, controversial, um, whoever is trying to be cast, but actually there's something that everyone can understand that everyone can work on, that we build broad coalitions. You know, Palestinians, our cause is one that's um, shared by the people of the world, not by the governments of the world, not by the wealthy of the world. It's shared by, you know, uh, the, um, uh, you know the, 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 mass, the mass of people who, um, who support justice. And I think we need to find a way to ensure that Palestine stays within all of those framings and within all of those campaigns, working across different issues. Well, Rivka, I mean... You know, if you were in Tel Aviv as a young Israeli, you'd probably find it quite difficult to get into the occupied territories. You'd find it impossible to go to Gaza. Uh, you probably have very little idea of what's actually going on uh, in your name. Um, so for other people outside Israel in a similar situation, uh, wanting to find out more, it's not, it's, we have social media, we have uh, independent media, we can find out things. But in terms of practical things we can do to help, I mean, people have talked about the twinning, traditional uh, uh, twinning campaigns uh, can be can happen. There's the, the boycott and divestment and sanctions campaign, uh, trying to get more people, just mentioning the young Israelis who don't know what's going on in territory that's being occupied by their army, but getting people from outside to go into Gaza and the West Bank and see for themselves. Uh, but what other sort of practical measures are you advocating at War on Want? Um, do you think need to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
I mean, to, to pick up a little bit on what, what Akram was saying, I mean, I think the, the successful movements in this country and also in the US and in other places um, come from uh, spending the time to do the real uh, political organizing together. And I think um, you're right about, you know, social media makes a lot of information accessible to all of us very quickly, which has been very positive, I think, in, in many ways. It means there's more information that's more accessible to, to people all the time, and people have become very savvy and clever with, you know, video you know, getting videos out very quickly and, and doing some really uh, um, useful and, and great stuff. But I think the real work is not in um, getting the social media likes and putting out the information on uh, on social media. That's a that's a, a tactic that can be used. But um, when we talk to university students, for example, in, in British universities or, or in the US or any other place, um, the one the first thing we say is, first of all, find out what is already happening on your campus. And this goes for any kind of um, uh, issue. I think um, learning what people are doing already and learning what's been done in the past and spending the time to, to understand the institution that you're working in is a really important part of, of doing the work. Um, and it's a kind of less uh, flashy and less popular thing, but that's what all of the successful organizers historically and currently have done. You spend time understanding the, the context that you're working in, and then you can understand from there what are the what what's possible. And I think um, that balance of doing the things that are about connecting with Palestinians, you know, in in different parts of the world, including in occupied Palestine is really um, fantastic. I think twinning, uh, twinning efforts are really, um, are really positive in that way. And there's been some really amazing stuff of, of trade unions, for example, um, the, um, the National Union of, of Journalists have, have done some really interesting work together with trade unions of journalists in Palestine and doing that kind of sectoral um, work or student groups trying to connect with other student groups is really positive. Um, uh, so that's that kind of work that helps people connect more with uh, Palestinians and then also doing the work of understanding um, how institutions are, are positioned and, um, you know, in, in, in what cases, you know, um, if institutions are somehow complicit or involved. But the thing I would say, and, and Warren Watt has long been um, an, an active advocate of, of the boycott, divestment and sanctions ta uh, tactics, um, that it's a part of the core work that that one one does. Um, but what I would say about it is that that has that's a that's a tactic that's used as a part of the larger work. And the larger work is about putting forward is is being grounded in those principles of of what the Palestinian um, demand for self-determination is and making sure that the campaigns don't take on a life of their own and get detached from that broad broadening work that Akram was talking about, making the large coalitions, making Palestine um, something that it's always always been for, for the left, which is something that people can come together around um, that's a part of the anti-colonial work, that's a part of the anti-racist work and not letting it get separated out and sort of isolated um, to be its own um, issue, which is exactly what, I mean, that's what our detractors want is for Palestine to be separated out, for Palestinians to be isolated and for it to be something scary for people to come into rather than what it really is, which is a core part of the anti-racist uh, organizing that's a part that's a part of the the tradition of the left movements and the progressive movements of this country and, and elsewhere. We've got a couple of comments that have just come in. Stephen Watters, he says, uh, Black Lives Matter helped to show people Britain's colonial past and people are rightly appalled. Uh, they should recognize Britain's colonial present support of colonial Israel and oppose it. And Naeem Malik says BDS is the same as in South Africa. How do we target key elements like banks that invest in arms industries, arms companies, government and public bodies, including pension funds? Uh, I mean, we should we perhaps will have to come back to that another time, unfortunately. But um, I just wondered because we're in our last few minutes, unfortunately, and I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll come to you, uh, Akram, first, if I may. It's kind of just looking ahead. Um, We've talked today about uh, practical measures, the solidarity. We've looked at the overall situation. We've had a particular focus on uh, what's been happening also in Britain and, also, and the United States. Um, 
there's much to be hopeful for, isn't there, as well? That's the key thing too, Akram, isn't it? I mean, you know, people may say, well, it doesn't make a great deal of difference if it's President Biden or, or President Trump, but well, yes, it does. Um, does it make a difference with the United Nations? Well, yes, it does. Uh, all of these things, more money going back to UNRWA, yes, it does. But of course, the centrality of the occupation remains, the brutality of it. Um, but looking forward, Akram, what do you think are the, the milestones that we should be uh, looking towards? When will we know that we're really making uh, waves, we're really achieving things, that things are beginning to change for ordinary Palestinians? Well, <clears throat> I mean, in my estimation, that is likely to be a kind of a while off. Um, but, you know, I think the most important thing to recognize when we're involved in solidarity work is that it isn't just, you know, um, and I, I sense actually sometimes even the most committed people working on Palestine, they, they do out of a love for justice and a love um, for this cause of a people struggling for their freedom. Um, but it's difficult to really understand what impact your work is having. But actually what we've seen in the last period is the solidarity that is extended by um, Britain and British activists and organizers here to Palestinians is very real. It's very tangible materially, in ter human terms, in terms of the difference it makes in supporting and buttressing and um, uh, helping Palestinians stay on their land, helping Palestinians who are refugees um, stay, uh, stay where they are and struggle for their rights. So I think all of this shouldn't be, should never be, um, uh, it should never be thought of just in terms of these shifts in geopolitics or that we're involved in solidarity work and we can't have an impact on what's happening or it's just running a small meeting in some town in the UK. But actually that translates in very material terms and as part of a wider movement that has enormous impact on the lives of Palestinians. And I think that everyone who is involved in Palestinian solidarity work should be extremely proud of themselves. And uh, they should keep, they should always, no matter what happens, hold their heads up high and understand that, um, that what's happening today is laying the groundwork for a broader internationalism um, of which Palestine is at the heart um, and the changes that we can make here in Britain will be enormously impactful all around the world. And I think that what gives me heart and what gives me hope is that no matter what the circumstances are in any particular moment, there's always a possibility to struggle. There's always a possibility to find a way to talk about Palestine, to push those principles forward. You know, even when there's lots of pressure on, you can find ways that you make sure that work on Palestine succeeds. You know, Rivka was talking about how do we sequence campaigns? If, we've, if we're going to put a motion forward at a student union, have we done enough awareness raising work in order to um, ensure that people know what they're talking about, what they're building on? So no matter what happens, we can always find a way forward. And, you know, the struggle for Palestine in Britain is just one arena of many. And we are part of an international movement of people who feel the same way. And things have shifted drastically over the past few years and will continue to. Rivka really is coming to you for the last word on this um, and, and for War on One. Uh, where, where do you, what do you see the big milestones are? Where are the grounds for optimism for the work that you're doing? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as as Akram was saying, I mean, the this struggle is long, and we know that. I mean, that's how the work is, and I think it's important for us to to understand that when we're going into it. And and for War on One um, in particular, I mean, it's it's um, amazing to be a part of an institution that has so much history of struggle. And part of what we've learned through that is that we will face moments of intense uh, repression in the part of the work that we do when we were supporting the um, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Um, we, we faced repression both from the South African government and from the um, from the British. Um, and we understand that that's a part of the that's a part of um, of the space of the work that we're doing. Um, I was in an amazing public meeting a, a few years ago with um, Ronnie Castrols, who's a sort of giant of mm -hmm. the anti-apartheid movement. And he's, he um, was speaking about the meetings that he used to go to as an anti-apartheid campaigner 
um, in the, the depths and the, the, um, the hardest moments of apartheid. And he spoke to meetings of 15 people, of 10 people in, um, in churches and universities around Britain. And I'm, I know that people in those times also felt nothing is going to change and there's only 15 of us here and what's really going on. I mean, so, so kind of keeping that history behind us and remembering that this is gonna take a long time and things can shift very quickly. Um, but that long work is the, is the beautiful work and it's the work that we have to do, but also in order to make it strong and to make it last, um, it has to be um, work that's, um, that's generative, that's building, um, that's succeeding as, as Akram says, we, we shouldn't be getting involved in things that we know are gonna fail. If you find that you're hitting a brick wall, you look for another way to work and another another space to to push the issues forward and i think that's the success of the of the work that we can always do so i'm very hopeful at warm want we've seen we haven't seen the the support for our justice for palestine work drop we've seen it increase um, over the years and i think that that shows something and and as you said in the us there's so many things that are happening that are positive so i think there's a lot to look look forward to um, and of course, shows like this and conversations like this are a part of that work too. So it's it's a um, it's been a great opportunity to to speak about it here. Well, thank you very much, Rivka. In fact, uh, we had Ronnie Casrills on uh, a few weeks back, and I, he would have applauded what you were saying, and uh, he would have been enthused by both of you today. I know that, and uh, it's it's been fantastic. I'm just a couple of comments from people. Kate Scott says, uh, "Thank you, panelists. Very encouraging." To us to continue campaigning. We're having lots of other messages like that. So we are deeply grateful to you both, uh, Akram, Rivka. Thank you very much for your time today. It's much appreciated. Uh, good luck with all of your work. Um, we want to hear more from you. Please keep us informed here at Palestine Deep Dive as to what you're doing. Um, so really until next time, uh, my thanks to our guests, Rivka and Akram, and also thank you to all those behind the scenes of Palestine Deep Dive who made it happen, to uh, Omar, to Kieran, to Alex, and to Mac. Um, uh, Chet Johnston, excellent speakers, thank you. I second Kate Scott's, Kate Scott's comment. So there we are. That's it from us.